I just feel to share really a, a collection of kind of thoughts that I've been working through uh, this week. And should we see if it turns into a sermon? She will. Some of you aren't quite sure. Yeah, hope not. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, well, let, let's start with Ezekiel and his valley of dry bones, shall we? And you, most of you will know the story, but if you want to go and read it in the week, yeah, as, I, as I go along, I'll often say, in the week, read this, read this, read this, and then you can kind of recapture some of the thoughts of the morning and kind of hopefully go a step further. But Ezekiel 37 it is, and Ezekiel finds himself in this valley of dry bones. And, and you know, he prophesies, I'm really shortening the story, but prophesies and the bones come together, prophesies, then flesh comes on the bones, then prophesies, then breath enters these uh, the the corpses that are littered across this valley, presumably post-war, and suddenly they stand up a mighty army. And um, I suppose that's a good kind of metaphorical picture, good imagery, uh, as Chris was saying this morning, of of where I I roughly want to go. Um, let's do let's do what that might mean for individuals. Every one of us needs bones, flesh, and breath. You with me? Every life needs bones. It needs a rhythm, a structure, uh, a sense of what holds it together and what holds it up. Um, but structures, when they're done well, just like the skeleton of the human body, are invisible. They're there, but they're, they're, they're quite important, but generally invisible. If everything becomes overly structured because you're a control freak, you know, well, what would you say to someone when you can see their bones? It's not, not healthy, right? You need a bit of flesh on your bones. So you need, you need structure in the background to hold life together. Yeah. You need to have planned your diary and your rhythm and how it all works and what you prioritize and how it hangs together. Then you need the flesh of just human living. I, I have this job. I'm a parent of this child. This is my family. This is the human stuff. This is the house I live in and the mortgage I pay. It's life being put together. And that is very visible. Everybody say very very visible, very visible. But because it's the most visible doesn't mean it's the most important and that's what trips us up. Because the most important thing, you're still a corpse until the breath comes to you. There's an essence, so you need structure but it should be invisible. You need to live human life well and it's very visible but less important than the breath that enters you and turns you into a mighty army. There's an essence to you, there's a soul, there's a, a living being in there. And if you're born again, there's the breath of God in you. The breath of God to bring you alive, but then even the breath and the fire of God to turn you into someone that can see the kingdom of God come in the world. Am I right? And actually, that is the least visible but most important part of you. And that's essentially where I want to go this morning. If we were to do it as a church, we would say the church needs a structure, but it's most healthy when it's invisible. We need a structure. There has to be authority structures. It goes wrong when it sticks out and is protruding. And it's just so in control and domineering sense of authority. When it's domineering the family, it's unhealthy. You've got to say, I can see your bones. Head of house, as you insist that I submit to you. You have my permission as a pastor, wives, to tell your husband your bones are protruding. If you're going to do authority instructor well, it should be virtually invisible and kindly holding us together, but not bashing over, us over the head with a bone. 
that's when you know authority is well, when you don't have to insist on it. It just sits there holding you together nicely, but invisible most of the time. But you need flesh as a church. You know, we need authority and structure. And how do we hang the world together? How do we make decisions? You've got to have, you've got to have order. God is not a God of disorder. Some people talk as if all we need is breath. Oh, really, blob sitting on the seat. No, you need structure. And then you also need flesh. It's the human stuff, right? And let's be honest, uh, it, the most visible part even of church life is our songs and our sermons and our services and our projects. and our Right? But because it's the most visible doesn't mean it's the most valuable. Just let it sink in. And we fall into error when what is most visible becomes most valuable. Because there is a breath of essence that we are only truly alive the moment he breathes among us. He breathes his life into us. And it's then when we've got invisible structures Obvious, well-together human things that just make it look right to the world. But when we recognize the most valuable thing in our whole world is the breath of God. Come on, somebody growl and grunt. Yes, yes. You know, if you've become obsessed with control and authority, you're missing God's best. It should be invisible. Done well. I mean, Jesus was the boss, but he didn't have to go around saying it. In fact, you know, they, they, it's, even Judas had to say, so you know which one it is, I'll give him a kiss for you. Because yeah. he is so not sticking out some, like some bone of authority that can't be missed, that I'm going to have to show you which of all these Jews is the boss. Yeah. I'll go give him a kiss for you. Jesus' authority was quite happy to be humble and invisible because it was never intimidated or under threat. He could let rebellion ride and slide for quite a long time, knowing that God has his way of drawing things back. Have you noticed with you and I, God lets our rebellion ride and slide? That's because God's so kind, right? Authority doesn't have to stick out like some kind of sore, skeletal feature. And then in our humanity, that, that layer of flesh is so necessary because we are human beings living in a human world, but there is that essence, right, of God. And so, how's that by way of introduction? We've got to get back to the essence. It's the least visible, so you'll miss it. You get obsessed with structures and control, or obsessed with mortgage payments, houses, and big cars, or, oh, family, uh, COVID, uh just the stuff of human life it is most visible and so can be our greatest distraction but there is something greater than ministry and authority and it's intimacy this is ministry we get obsessed about it i want a position i want a role i want a Meeting. I want, a, I want a meeting at this time in this way. I want the singing to go on a certain amount of time. And it's got to be quiet enough to not move the wax from my eardrums. <laughs> There's a tad loud this morning. It was lovely. <laughs> but it's just stuff. Not your fault. It's just stuff. I'm obsessed with position. You're missing it all. We're just dead corpses. Lying redundant in a valley until the moment we realize the essence is my intimacy with God. That's what matters. Yeah. Me and God. That's what this is all about.
What do I get out of it? Maybe nothing. Do I get a ministry role? Well, you better hope not, really. It's pretty miserable when you do. And that's the realization. If you take joy in this or in that, you won't have joy for long. But when you take joy in this, you can take the joy of intimacy anywhere. You, you are satisfied whether you are bound or abased. Doesn't matter. I'm walking with Jesus. And I'm taking my time. I loved it. You know, God came to Abraham, said, Abraham, you know, come, leave everything. Come, I'm going to show you a land. I'm going to give it to you. Oh, fabulous, Lord. When are you going to give it me? About 400 years. <laughs> well, and that's my calling. What about, you know, what about the projects and plans? What about launching a charity? What about my newsletter? What about my website? No, no, no. We're just setting up a 400-year plan. Have you thought that maybe the only thing God wants you to do is to be faithful? You know, bring up a kid or, you know, bless a street or just keep your own sanity because something's going to flow from your body that you didn't even know about that's going to bless generations. And we obsess about, you know, human fulfillment. So we humanize this wonderful thing and make a nonsense of it. But God's God. Amen. So. Having said all that, I'm going to preach on one of the toughest verses in the New Testament. Are you ready? That's what I've been meditating on this week. And I'm wondering, do I do it or not? Because they look like a nice crowd, you know. Um, you know, should I really ruin this lovely, intimate, pizza-loving party this morning? Uh, but when I woke up this morning, it was the lead verse in the Daily Light this morning. So if you do the Daily Light, it was the lead verse. So I'm like, well, that's it. I've got to do it. So Matthew 7, if you've got it. Matthew 7. <clears throat> I know, Joy. It's, it's, it's in the New Testament, so I, I, I think lots of people would wish verses like this were consigned to the Old Testament. Then we could ignore them and say, well, a new covenant now, that doesn't count. You know, God doesn't punish. God doesn't judge. God likes everybody. You know, he went from angry in the Old Testament to Nicky Gumbel in the New, you know, and all that kind of thing. Uh, but uh, no, there's lots of tough stuff in the New, too. But it, I, it really lines up. I think with something that I think we can hopefully grasp and learn this morning. Matthew 7, and it's Jesus talking, and he's nearing the end of the Sermon on the Mount. So it's his lead sermon. It's his major main sermon. Um, and uh, the context is, uh, you'll see Matthew 7 from about verse 13. He's talking about, you've got a choice. You've got narrow gates or wide gates. Everybody say narrow, narrow. or wide. wide. The choice is mine. Right, you've got true prophets and false prophets. Right? We, we get to choose whether we're going to be discerning or dumb. But then you get true and false disciples, and that's where we're going to land today. But then it follows it up with wise and foolish builders. But all along the way, we have the choice of which we're going to be. Going to take the wide open, easy gate or the narrow, humbling, bow down to get through it gate. Uh, are we going to follow false or, or true prophets? Are we going to be a wise or foolish builder? Or where we're going to land today, true and false disciples at Matthew 7. And I, 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 I just think... It, to, to put a context for this, God really is cleansing up his church. Anybody? So I just don't see God letting me off the hook. But he does it all in the context of love. And, and for our progress, not for our punishment. You know, he wants us to step into a whole new era with him. And if you listen to what's going on around the church broadly, you would say God is continuing to, to, to squeeze and cleanse and purify and... 
we'll get to Amos in a minute, but, you know, Amos, literally, when you read those first, I don't know, six, six chapters, something like that, it's fire on this one and fire on that one and fire on the other, and you go, oh, God, you are intense. Do you know what I mean? Um, so we'll find out what he wants us to do about that. But God is a consuming fire, and that's a New Testament verse, not an Old Testament yeah. verse. He cleanses us. He purifies us yeah. to set us free from our own stupidity. Some of us are trapped in the, in, the, in, the, in the flesh and the skeleton of our own stupidity. And God says, I want to set you free into the beauty of intimacy. And so here we get this incredible verse, uh, Matthew 7, verse 21. Uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, so, you know, the end day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them straight or plainly, I never knew you away from me, evil doers. Prophesied in your name, evildoer. Did miracles in your name, evildoer. Drive out demons, evildoer. Operated in the name instead of intimacy, evildoer. Used Christianity for ministry, evildoer. Used Christianity, the name of Jesus for renown or influence, evildoer. And it's not just, wow, that's bad, he called me an evildoer, then he let me off. No, away from me evildoer, didn't make it, was around church culture, was around charismatic church culture, cast out demons, sang the songs, Lord, Lord, Lord. You know, you can say and you can sing, Lord, Lord. You can be on your knees weeping at the end of an altar call because you feel guilty again. Lord, Lord, I want you to be Lord. But if we don't make him Lord, that's the wise and foolish builders that come next. If you don't shift from the sand and behaviorally in your diary move over to the rock at the end of all time the one that you sang Lord to and did miracles in his name he still says away from me evil doer but you wrote books about miracles and then you stood before the throne and he called you an evil doer you cast out you had a deliverance ministry you started a sozo chapter and he still says away from me evil doer because you did it all for flesh and for structure you did it for position and for renown instead of what he really wants the essence is there i never knew you you filled your life with busyness and ministry and platforms and projects and acclaim and even fruitfulness. And maybe somewhere in the smidgen of your heart, is it good, Anna? Somewhere in the smidgen of your heart, we wanted God, but we never gave him the time. We were distracted by what is most visible. And in the New Testament, Jesus in red called charismatic Christians evildoers. Wow. Got your seatbelts on. Because all that really matters is to know him or as he put it, for me to know you. Are you really sitting down as a I think it's the, the Passion Translation says, and laying out the pages of your heart before him. Or are we God? I, I want to do 
My greatest danger is I need actionable information from heaven to improve the flesh, the, 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 the human stuff, projects and plans, and to make it work. And God's going, no, I'm, I'm after intimacy. Scary, isn't it? So it's best that we preach it way before we die. Because then you've got a chance of improving. Right. So, and, and the evidence of, you know, true false prophets, narrow gate, wide gate, wise builder, stupid builder, is you get a choice. So. God keep us from stupidity. Amen. What is it the Americans say? Spirit of stupid. <laughs> right. So here's my little thoughts on that. As you can see, the thoughts are getting increasingly more intense as we go. But um, First thought, pursue intimacy above everything. Sometimes you want to know what the next thing is to do. And God's saying, I want you to take a year out just to be with me. Three years. Just to be with me. I want to build a ministry. I want to build a relationship. Our greatest danger is busyness, isn't it? And the sense of the speed of which we want to see everything happen in the, I don't know, 80 years of our life. Now, this can be an encouragement to those that are pursuing intimacy and go, well, where's my ministry? Maybe it'll come in 10 years, maybe 400, who knows. But pursuing intimacy above everything else is the right thing to do. While recognizing that there has to be some kind of thing that you can see happening in life and there has to be some structure. But God bless those who are content, not like me, content to walk slowly through the garden with God. With This is what Adam and Eve have that was stolen from them more than anything. Uh, when I read the passage, I see they had a naive sense of intimacy with God. It was not sophisticated at all. They weren't striving to do or accomplish. Or it's like, eh, well, we'll just fix this flower bed, shall we? And then we'll have another coffee. And we'll see if God walks by in the cool of the day and we'll have a chat. Because that's the best part of our day. Naive, unsophisticated intimacy. More than that's what God's after. And then what miracles flow from that? Flow from that, but they're fruit. They're not strivings. They're just fruit. You know, you don't see constipated apple cheese, right? Going, oh, try to squeeze another one out. <laughs> Some people are like that with healing. Ooh, another prune, another prune. Right, come on, Jesus. I'm trying to get everything moving, but it's all jammed up in there, right? No. Ministry should be a fruit, not a striving. It should be just a, we're so close. Oh, couldn't help it. You got near me, you got healed. Oh, you know, wisdom didn't have to say, thus saith the Lord, just wisdom flows because intimate with him. doesn't have to look like anything that we've made it over the decades, just let it flow. Um, and that's what, you know, John 14, 15, 16 and 17 is all about, just remaining in him and then just bearing fruit. Union, just being enveloped in God, hidden in the, in the cleft of the rock to hang out with God more than anything else. And that's the thing that gets under threat more than anything else because it's most hidden but most valuable. So Amos goes on to say this, 
in Amos 5. And like I say, the build up to it all is, uh, well, you know, Amos is one of those minor prophets. You need to read Amos. You might meet him in heaven. He'll say, did you read my book, right? The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. Anybody sense the shaking of the Lord thundering and roaring at the moment? And he goes through most of the tribes and he's saying, I, I'll put fire on this tribe and fire on that tribe and fire over here and fire over there. And God's quite intense sometimes. So, you know, sometimes we're looking for... You know, sweet by and by and God's like oh, I'm, I'm a blazing fire at the moment that's why everything that's waxy about you or you know is melting in the presence of God but then it kind of reaches a, a little bit of a climactic place in in Amos 5 and verse you know, end of verse well verse 4 this is what the Lord says to Israel seek me and live do not seek Bethel do not go to Gilgal do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the tribes of Joseph like a fire. <laughs> you know, okay, so it's, listen, have some intelligence about your seeking. Don't seek Bethel. What's Bethel? It's the place where, where Jacob had the stairway and wow, this is the house of God. How awesome is this place? So it's an awesome place of previous encounter and God's saying you can't just keep going back with nostalgia, hoping for some old encounter. Maybe that was when I peaked. God is saying, no, forget the old encounters. Come to me today and be intimate with me today he says don't go don't go to Gilgal what's Gilgal Gilgal is the place where the, the children of Israel when they finally were getting into the promised land it's where the Jordan was held up as a heap further down and they walked through on dry ground then they picked up 12 stones each representing the 12 tribes of Israel and they created this monument at Gilgal as it was a place of form a monument to former miracles we teach often, remember everything God's done for you. But here's the tension in that truth. Remember it to give you faith for today. The danger is it can give you complacency for today. Because, I've, because I can list this past history, I'm going to live on my laurels of my past relationship with God, but I ain't seen a miracle in months or years. So he's saying, you can't go back. And just go, well, because he once parted the Jordan, therefore we're blessed. And we're doing all right. Woe to complacency. Do you know him today? Then he says, don't seek or go to Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was where Abraham made a covenant, a treaty, let's say, with the Philistines. So it's about relational uh, treaties and covenants and affiliations and connections. So here God's saying, you can't just go back to all your old connections and ask them to solve your problems. Sometimes historical relationships are just that. They're not today's relationship, but we're living in a world of comfort and old connection, hoping, well, if I just hang out here, I've got old encounters, I've got old miracles, and I've got old relationships, and I sit down in my sofa of complacency, and I'm not actually vibrant with the breath of God today. I'm just sitting back in what was, hoping that it will carry me to what is. 
But God says, no, no, no. Stop seeking old encounters. Stop seeking old miracles or sticking monuments up to them and going, because that once happened. Therefore, that was the peak of my life. And wasn't it wonderful? Stop seeking me in old relationships and old connections. Get a bit of bravery about you. Stop the fear of man and the complacency. So he says, don't do that, that or that. He said, instead, seek me and live. Know me and live. Know God, your God, today. Where, oh, where is the God of November 2021? We can sit here and tell our old stories, but where's today's God? Right? That's where we find life. Um, There's a moment in Israelite history when the Philistines now, evidently long past their treaty with Abraham, uh, they're they're at war now with the Philistines. And... um, uh, that's interesting, isn't it? There's a Because t- Philistines represent flesh in the Bible. There's a moment to make peace with it and there's a moment to fight it. Work out which one. And, uh, and so uh, the, the Philistines are coming in. At this point in the Israelite history, they're pretty ungodly. They've lost God. Uh, they've sinned. And, and so their armies are going out to fight. I, th- I think they've gone through one defeat already without being completely annihilated. So they regroup and they say this phrase, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant to us that it may save us from our enemies. Because the Ark that would sit in the, in the, in the human fleshy part, something you can see that we've done that represents God but isn't God. The danger is they don't say, let's bring the Ark that he may save us. They say, let's bring the Ark that it may save us. It's just stuff. And that is the moment the Ark is stolen and taken away by the Philistines and the story goes on. Um, but it's, it's also the moment when Ichabod is born. The high priest falls over. Uh, uh, did he die at that point? I think he died at that point, didn't he? he? He fell off his seat and died. And his, I'm doing this from memory now, was it his grandchild was born at that moment? We'll check it anyway. Something like that. Somewhere in the scriptures it says. And, and they called him Ichabod, which means the glory is departed. The glory departs when we step from intimacy to it. Don't be an it guy, be a, be a him guy, right? Be a one that walks with God intimately. Pursue intimacy above everything else. Realize that even the shape of our quiet times is this center column. And sometimes we're filling it with stuff that is God would, but is not God receiving. That's why they don't give us life anymore, but we dutifully do them, or we stop doing them and live feeling guilty about them. But boy, to get to intimacy, where we're able to hang out with God and we say, God is my friend. Amen? Preserve intimacy. Pursue intimacy, sorry, above all. Second thought here, tear down compromise. I believe this is a season to be brutal about compromise. To the bits of 
these other columns, right? The structures and the skeletons and the, the, the human face of, of how we live our lives and our rhythms and our diaries and our priorities. There are parts in that, not everything, but that God wants to tear down or put together in a different way. Is anybody with me? And there, is, there are areas, I'm feeling it, of compromise where God's saying, uh, uh, yeah, now, I, I've let that ride for a while, but now fire's coming. Okay, come on, this is such a cheerful room today as I talk about the fire of God hitting your life. Right? I'm not going to let you off that attitude anymore. That rebellion, that compromise, that tear it down. It's so easy to, to do all of this and even to love it and think we're devoted because, well, we've made treaty in, a, in the room with people that we think are devoted. A miracle happened over that side of the room, therefore I'm alive over this side of the room. And we end up uh, complacent because of our associations. We think we're alive because someone else in the room is, but we've actually died. We need to tear down the compromises in our life. Yeah. Hagia Sophia, one of the seven wonders of the world, right? In Istanbul, Turkey. I, I might get this story mostly right, and the point of it is right, but I, I heard it secondhand from someone just this week, and I couldn't guarantee that he ticked every fact exactly accurately. Yeah. But the point is true, okay? So I'll, I'll be honest with you about that. So um, the, the, the church in Hagia Sophia uh, was one of the seven wonders of the world, this magnificent church. And I think it was the emperor at the time decided that he wanted to put a statue to his wife in the church. And they all objected to it, to this desecration of a holy site by it becoming humanistic and humanized by this emperor now wanting praise and glory, as it were, to his, to his own wife. So the priest said, no way. So he got rid of them, killed them, I think. So he got rid of all those priests and said, right, uh, and now the statue will turn up tomorrow. We're bringing the statue in. Now we've got rid of the objectors, we'll bring the statue in. That night, the population burnt down the church. They would rather burn down the very thing they built that was a seventh wonder of the world rather than have it desecrated with compromise. What would you burn down just to make sure it was pure? What thing that you've built for years and is now stunning and admired and visited and pilgrimage, but you go, you know what? If anything unholy touches that, I'd rather not have it and have God than begin to put up with compromise. When Jesus was around, he prophesied that, you know, the disciples were looking at the temple, weren't they? Going, oh, it's beautiful, this stunning temple, beautifully put together. And Jesus said, ah, every stone's going to be torn down from, from this place. And of course, AD 70 it was, it was torn down. But at the same time as... As, as, as the temple's being torn down, the early church is blazing revival down those straight Roman roads along to the, to the known world. Um, think of it. <laughs> it was all God, but one's being torn down while a whole new kind of temple is blazing with revival. They were willing for the, for the skeletons and the human side, the structure and the visible face of it all to completely change in order to keep the purity of the intimate thing that God was saying today. We are not going to preserve our humanity, our services, our songs, our ways, our buildings. We cannot preserve them at the cost of God himself. What we need is the breath of God in the temple. 
Who cares what it looks like? It is God that we want. Are we willing to burn down our monuments, to burn our history, not in disrespect, but in purity, to say, no, God, we must have you today. Where is the God of Elijah? Two of you are getting it. Tear down compromise. Yeah. And then, well, I can land on this. Good, good, because we've got three minutes. Oh, Paul, come and play. Come and give us a bit of human face, because I can see they're all going, this is a bit heavy for a Sunday morning, followed by pizza. It's a bit more of a deep pan pizza than I imagined, I think, Chris. We need to restore the balance of what really matters. Many have fallen in love with church culture and that is what their Christianity is. And this verse from Mark 7 would tell you, you may stand, you may, I don't know, but there's a chance if you fall in love with culture, you will stand before the throne and he will say, I never knew you. But I joined in the charismatic meetings. I went every week. That's not it. But I was a deacon. I was a minister. That's not it. It's intimacy. You obeyed me. You heard me. You grasped me. You burned up monuments because of your love for me. You refused to live in the past and in complacency because of today's passion for me. That's what matters. And he'll say, coming in, well done, good and faithful servant. You managed to keep the most visible thing in check so that you could prioritize the invisible, valuable thing. Me. Me. It's going to be the radical remnant that win in this next season. Radicals that burn down wonders so their hearts remain pure.